Last week, we introduced this theme, your giants must fall. I wonder if before naming any specific giants, if God spoke to your heart, if already in your heart and mind you can see that giant, your giant, looming before you, the one that haunts and taunts you and keeps you from progressing the way that God would have you to. We looked last week as an introduction at five characteristics of our giants, five truths about our giants. We saw that our giants are well-armed and armored, that our enemy has great resources. He is strong. We also saw that your giants persist. Like Goliath, who came morning and night for 40 days to haunt and taunt the Israelites. So our enemy persists. Temptation has this persistent nature in your life and mine. We saw that our giants draw our attention, seeking to take our focus from where it should be. We should keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, but our giants seek to draw our attention away from Christ and put, the, put it elsewhere. We saw that our giants use discouragement and how great a tool discouragement is in the tool in the hands of our enemy. He uses discouragement to stop us. And sometimes that discouragement comes from one who should support and encourage us. And yet discouragement can, can come from all fronts. And if we're not careful, that discouragement will stop us from moving forward. But then we saw finally that our giants are already defeated before we walk into the valley of Elah to face our giants, Jesus Christ already walked into that valley for us. And what a wonderful truth that is, that we can know as we go up against our giants that they are already defeated because of what Jesus has done. But as we continue to examine giants, we want to start naming them. The first giant that I want to deal with is the giant fear. Fear must fall. This giant comes directly from our text in 1 Samuel 17. And so look with me, if you would, at 1 Samuel 17, verse number 11. When Goliath, that giant and champion of the Philistines, had already presented himself, the Bible tells us in verse 11, when Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. And then if you would jump down to verse number 24, David shows up on the scene with the goods for his brethren, for their captain. He is uh, among the armies now, and Goliath comes and 
haunts and taunts them with the same words. At the end of verse 30, 23, David heard them. And then verse 24, And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. The Bible tells us that the giant's presence and threats produced fear in Israel as he haunted and haunted them for 40 days they were afraid some of us have been haunted and taunted by the giant fear for longer than that fear may be something that you have constantly battled and fought or perhaps just been afraid of and hidden in your tent like the Israelite army did for a long time. As Goliath immobilized the Israelite army, so fear immobilizes those whom he haunts and taunts. In his book, Goliath Must Fall, Pastor Louis Giglio identifies three realities that produce fear. I wonder if any of these you can connect with. He says, number one, fear comes from conditioning. And here's what he means by that. Perhaps you grew up in an atmosphere of fear. Perhaps as you think back over the course of your life, maybe the home that you were born into and raised in was a fearful home. Maybe your parents, one or the other or both, often or regularly worried or spoke of things that worried them and talked about how afraid or, or fearful different things in life are. They worried about the finances or they worried about you as a child and anything you might participate in. You can't play that sport because you might get hurt. You can't ride your bike because you might fall and scrape your knee. You've got to wear the helmet, the elbow pads, the knee pads, the chest pad, and the whole business. You've got to put on a football uniform to ride your bike. You laugh, but many of us perhaps grew up in an atmosphere of fear. And that type of mentality has been conditioned in. Number two, fear comes from concealing. There may be things that you have buried deep inside that you need to talk to someone about be something that needs to be confessed not just to the Lord but to another person it may be something that you experienced a, a difficulty that you lived through that you've never spoken of to anyone but concealing that experience has led you to live in fear Number three, fear comes from controlling. How many of you like to be in control? If you like to be in control, then there are times, likely, when you're in a situation 
situation where you don't have control. Perhaps someone else has control. Or, or maybe it's a circumstance of life that it's not something that anyone seems to have any control over, and you certainly don't have control. And instead of feeling like you're in control, directing and guiding and planning and preparing, you're just being carried along for the ride. You're out of control. Not in the sense of you're not controlling yourself, but you're out of control of the situation, and that produces fear. You're afraid because of that. I think that if we thought about it, many, if not all of these, would resonate with us. I wonder if the, any of them do for you. If you have fear because of one of these roots in your life, perhaps a combination of all three. In the right context, proper fear represents a healthy response. However, we also experience fears that instead of provoking appropriate behavior, weigh us down. They keep us from growth, from thriving, and enjoying life and faith as fully as God provi has provided us for us to enjoy and so today, I want us to look at the scriptures to examine this giant fear more closely and also come to an understanding of how we can overcome the giant fear. And so I want us to turn to Psalm 23. The penman of this psalm, of course, is the same one who faced and fought Goliath in 1 Samuel 17. Because of our familiarity with Psalm 23, we may not apply it as we should to the burdens and fears that we face in everyday life. Yet this psalm identifies the Lord as our shepherd. And consider this. As my shepherd, God has taken it upon himself to care for me even in the worst situations and times. Knowing and living in this knowledge leads us to fight and overcome the giant fear. Follow along as I read Psalm 23 in its entirety, and I want you to pay close attention to verse 4, where we'll gather the thoughts for the message Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul and leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest mine head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. As we consider tonight the giant fear, 
let's draw four thoughts from Psalm 23 that can help us face and fight and get victory over the giant fear. I want you to think first of all this evening about the place I tread. The place you tread. About two years ago, my mother-in-law visited and stayed with us for a while. And one morning, she and one of our daughters went for a walk through the neighborhood. And as they went for this walk, they came upon a street that did not have an outlet. So there was a sign posted at the front of the street that said, Dead End. No outlet, you can't go beyond here. And as they were walking, my daughter who was walking with my mother-in-law saw that sign and read it, dead end, and followed that by saying, that's where cars and trucks go to die. It's a dead end. Makes sense to me. I want you to think about the places you tread. Where you go. The places you you, you journey in this life. Not, not so much geographic places that you walk, drive, or fly to, but the experiences you go through. Life is made up of a multitude of experiences, small experiences, big experiences, good experiences, bad experiences. We walk through those. Those are places that we tread. Think about the place David referenced here in Psalm 23 verse 4, the valley of the shadow of death. Now we've not experienced that for ourselves, but many of us have had the experience of loved ones who have taken that journey. Death is a known, isn't it? That's a thought I want you to grab tonight. That which is unknown can bring fear, can't it? Not just death, but anything that is unknown. Think about other experiences of people in the, in the Bible. One passage tells us about those who walked through fire and flood, those who faced persecution, torture, and execution. Some faced enemies that were greater, stronger, more numerous, better resourced. Some faced raging storms. What about the places you tread? Does the fear of the unknown ever trouble you? As you're looking ahead or looking at a situation that you're experiencing in life and there are some unknowns connected with that, does that trouble you? Does that bring fear, anxiousness, worry? What about the fear of hurt? Do you ever live afraid of being hurt? Does the pain of some broken or hurt relationship keep you afraid so that you don't work to establish new relationships? Does the fear of tomorrow cost you today? Is some past failure causing you to be fearful of taking another risk? What experiences are you afraid of? Or what are the fears in your life keeping you from experiencing? 
There's something that you and I should remember as we think about the places we tread. Look back at Psalm 23, verse number 3. He restoreth my soul. Read the next three words with me, would you? He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Say those three words again with me. He leadeth me. You think about the places you tread. Remember that the one who leads you in the paths of righteousness is the same one who leads you when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The paths of righteousness, that's good, isn't it? David prayed to the Lord, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my ways, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. When we talk about the who leads us in the paths of righteousness we go oh that's good but friends listen to me the same one who leads you in the paths of righteousness is the same one who leads you in the valley of the shadow of death and so when you think about the places you tread those good and those blessed experiences that we all hold on to with fond memories the same one who leads us in those is the same one who leads us in the bad experiences of life where we might have some bad memories. And the point is this. When you think about the places you tread and those things that might bring fear, perhaps because of some past experience that causes you to be fearful as you look forward, understand that the one who leads you in the good is the same one who leads you in the bad. The Lord who is your shepherd leads you in the good times and the bad times he leads you in the joys and the sorrows he leads you and will care for you when you're in that place that the natural response is fear encourage yourself in the lord by saying this to yourself god led me here and god will lead me through Number two, not only the place I tread, but think of the perspective I take. The perspective I take. David made a determination in this passage, didn't he? Look at verse number four again. Yea, though I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, read his determination, I will fear no evil. David made a determination in that place he tread that he would fear no evil. The word fear here identifies being afraid, being frightened, in a feeling of great distress, having deep concern of pain or unfavorable circumstance. That word evil is that which causes harm, destruction, or misfortune. So David here, notice this, friends. David does not say, I will not experience evil. Is that what he said? No. David didn't say, well, you know, I'm following God. He's leading me, so I'll never experience bad things. Did David say that? No. In fact, his determination here indicates the reality that he knew even as he followed the Lord, even as he was led by God, he would likely encounter some bad things. 
but he determined when that time came, I will fear no evil. I believe I shared with you this past summer as I went through that period of of really some depression because of so many different things going on in our in my life that were was causing questions <coughs> and difficulties that when it came time for me to have an MRI to try to determine what was going on in my hip that this was the passage that came to mind that I repeated over and over and over again for that 20 30 minutes I was in that my machine I, I quoted this verse dozens of times and this was the part that stood out to me i will fear no evil the writer dallas willard wrote this in a book entitled life without lack living in the fullness of psalm 23 he said a life without lack is one that carries no fear of evil our confidence in god soars far above wants and fears Jesus was constantly saying to his friends, fear not, fear not. Imagine what that would be like. No fear of life, aging or death, disease or hunger. No fear of any person or creature, not even the loss of all your possessions. You can live without fear even in the midst of a world dominated by fear. There's a university, Chapman University, that every year does a survey of the American people to identify the top 10 fears of Americans. Do you know that over the past several years, as they have done this survey, listing the top 10 fears of American people, the percentages of those who identify in those top 10 categories over the past several years has been on a steady increase. What does that identify? We're becoming more fearful. More and more fearful. Anxious. Distressed about things in this life, the cares of this world. David determined no matter where he was, no matter what he was experiencing, in recognition that wherever I go, God is with me, he is leading me, he would not fear. How could Jesus say, fear not? How could Jesus say, as he did in Matthew 6, take no thought for your life, don't be about your life and the things of this life. Over and over, Jesus said that. We shouldn't be worried. We shouldn't be afraid. Why? Because God the Father knows what we need and will be faithful. Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 34. Therefore, take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. That's right after he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And you look at this verse and you go, what in the world does this have to do with those thoughts? It's simply this. 
God provides enough grace for you and I to deal with life one day at a time. Don't look ahead to tomorrow with concern or anxiety about what is coming tomorrow. You know why? Because God has given you the grace you need for today. And when you wake up tomorrow, he'll give you the grace you need for Monday. So don't be starting to think on Monday about all the worries and concerns about Tuesday. You know why? Because you'll wake up Tuesday and God will give you the grace to deal with Tuesday. He gives you the grace you need one day at a time. If you believe that God loves you, remember that nothing including death or life can separate you from the love of God in Christ. We can determine as David did. I will fear no evil. We can live life without fear, without the weight of fear or that giant of fear hindering us and keeping us from what God desires for us. You can face and fight that giant today because of our own resources? No. But if we continue reading Psalm 23, 4, we'll find out David didn't determine this because of his own resources, but he tells us the, the basis of his confidence. Look back at Psalm 23, 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. So jot down number three, the presence I trust. The presence I trust. David did not say... I'll never experience evil. But he also doesn't say, God, I trust that you're just going to remove it. David says, I may walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but I'll fear no evil, not because God's just going to take it out of the way. He said, I'll fear no evil because God will be with me. My shepherd who leads me and guides me will walk alongside me. Consider how David expanded on this thought in Psalm 139. Notice it in your Bibles with me. Psalm 139, verses 7 through 12. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from, me, from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. Here's what David expresses. He expected that wherever he was and whatever he was facing, the Lord who is his shepherd would be there with him. There was nowhere David could go, nowhere he could run to, nowhere he could be carried to where God would not be everywhere he was everywhere he was led everywhere he was carried god would be there david had no room in his mind to believe that his shepherd would ever leave or abandon him who is this shepherd and what has he promised to us 
Listen to Jesus' own testimony recorded in John 10. He said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling and not the shepherd whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth. And the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is an hireling and careth not for the sheep. Praise God, that's not Jesus. He says, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Listen to this, friend. Jesus has committed himself to his sheep so deeply that he would lay down his life for them. And in fact, he did lay down his life. So think about the giant of fear that you face and ask yourself why. Why is fear a giant in my life? Why, why do you face the giant of fear even as you live in relationship with others? Why do you face the giant of fear when there's a, a possibility of new experience? Why do you face the giant of fear every time you walk into the doctor's office? Why do you face the giant of fear when you think about the unknown? Why do you face the giant of fear when you enter conversation or interaction with others? And I believe the answer is often that we are more focused on our circumstances and our context than we are on our companion. Is it true that you have a companion who is Jesus the Good Shepherd with you everywhere you go all the time? If you're a child of God, the answer is yes. Everywhere I go, at all times, he is my companion. He is with me. He is for me. He is fighting for me. He is defending me. If that's true, then how is it that we face the giant of fear? It's because we focus on our circumstances and on the context of our lives rather than on the companion who is with us. I cannot pretend to know and understand all the paths that you've been called to walk. I've had all the experiences that some of you have had or are having right now. However, our good shepherd knows all about them. He has committed himself to you so that he will never leave you nor forsake you. He will never abandon you. If it were necessary, he would lay down his life for you. And friend, he's already done that. Nothing can truly and enduringly harm you because you belong to him and are in his care. Even as you walk through life's hardest and most difficult of days and experiences, he is there walking with you. You do not walk alone. And so as you think about the places you tread, as you think about the giant of fear that looms before you, Take the perspective, I will fear no evil. Say to yourself over and over, God has led me here. And then follow it up with this truth, God is with me here. 
He didn't lead you there and then leave you. God doesn't carry you somewhere, lay you down, and then abandon you. He leads you and stays with you. And so we can face and fight the giant of fear and overcome. We've examined the place we tread, the perspective we can take, the presence we can trust. Now let's meditate finally on the provision that I treasure. Notice what David says at the end of verse number 4 of Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. And then notice this, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The rod and staff is a reference to two unique implements or one implement with two unique purposes or applications. If you think about that shepherd's staff, the rod identifies that which is for defense. So the shepherd has his shepherd's staff, and that shepherd's staff can be used as a rod to defend the sheep against the attacks of wild animals that would appear to take and devour the sheep. The staff identifies that which is used for correction or guidance. Sometimes the sheep wanders away. Sometimes the sheep doesn't follow the shepherd. Sometimes the sheep doesn't know what is best and gets out of the way that it should be in. The shepherd uses the staff to guide the sheep in the way or to correct the sheep gets out of the way. But both implements provide a measure of safety and security to and for the sheep. Thus, David could say... They comfort me. When I think of the purposes of the rod and the staff, I'm reminded of the need for them in my life. There are times when the enemy is on the attack, and I need my shepherd to take his rod and defend his sheep against the attack of the enemy. There are times because, let's face it, the Bible says we're sheep. And in case you're unaware, sheep are dumb, dumb animals. They're not smart in any way, shape, or form. How convenient, applicable that that is the animal that we are often compared to in the word of God. David would write in another place of the Lord, he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. There are times when I get out of the way, I don't, I don't know where to go or to turn. There are times I wander out of the way so that I need the shepherd's direction I need the shepherd's correction. Jesus provides both. And I want you to think of this truth from the Bible. The primary source of Jesus' protection, direction, and correction is found in the 
infallible, timeless truths of the Word of God, the Bible. Like a rod and staff, Jesus' word offers protection from the assault of the enemy, offers direction when I don't know which way to go and turn, and offers correction when I wander away. In his grace, mercy, and love, he's provided all that I need to face every experience without fear of evil. These truths bring comfort. He's provided us with what we need to face, fight, and overcome the giant of fear. It's interesting that from a biological and scientific perspective, God has actually created our brains to have chemical reactions to fear. There are parts to your brain that are involved in fear. The amygdala is a part of the brain that activates when we sense a threat impulse and prompts the body to have a physical response. It, it's the part of our brain that kind of sends us into that fight or flight mentality. It, it, it produces additional chemicals and adrenaline that, that flow through our bodies. It releases stress uh, hormones throughout the body. But then the hippocampus is closely related, and that part of our brain helps us to interpret the threat. So think about it this way. You are face-to-face with a lion. Good or bad situation? Bad situation. The amygdala kicks in and tells you this is a bad situation. You need to either fight or flight. You either need to... To, to fight off the, the bad or you need to run. But then let's say you suddenly have a realization, wait a minute, I'm at the zoo and there's a really big thick piece of glass between me and the lion. Okay, good or bad situation? Some of you say that's still a bad situation. Good, it's fine. That, that part of your brain that realizes, wait a minute, we're all good. I'm not in danger. Kicks in and helps to control that, that stress reaction. In a real sense, that is what our faith in God is designed to accomplish. As we go through this life, there are difficulties, there are bad experiences. There are past experiences that may cause us to, to more greatly fear things in the present or the future that, that we go through in our lives. But God intends for us to put our faith in him so that when we go through things that might produce fear, our faith in God reigns in that fear response with the recognition and the knowledge he is in control. He is with me. He is fighting for me. I do not need to fear. Today, for some, the giant fear needs to fall. 
God wants to exchange fear for the peace and comfort that come from knowing, trusting, and following Jesus. That peace and comfort comes when we stop focusing on our circumstances and context and start focusing on our companion and what he provides to us. And so we can overcome fear in exchange for confidence in the one who leads, protects, provides for, and comforts us. Will fear fall today? Fear must fall if you're going to move forward as God desires you to. It's been said by many, and I close with this, if you're struggling with fear, and maybe your fear comes out in, in the form of anxiety, in the form of worry, in the form of stress on steroids, it's been said that worry and worship cannot operate be in the same space. Perhaps tonight, the, the step you need to take so that fear will fall is to determine and commit that when that fear begins to be the controlling factor of your heart and life, that you'll turn that worry to worship, to focus on your companion rather than on the circumstances and the context that you find. Fear must fall. And God has provided all that is necessary for that giant to fall.